Hi everyone, this is Kelsey, and this is our 18th episode of Four of a Kind Podcast. If you are Lauren, Grace, Michelle, and I, this is our 19th episode since we just recorded this exact episode. Well, we didn't record it. We We just talked on Skype for an hour and a half on this episode and didn't record it. So here we are doing it again. Um, Lucky for you, it will probably be even better. Anyway, (laughs) try not to laugh. It will be even better. It will be even better. So, Four of a Kind Podcast. This podcast is for all those out there just like us trying to figure out what's next in our careers. So join us and our exciting guests as we navigate our jobs, entrepreneurship, and all the ups and downs along the way. So after a number of episodes where we've interviewed a variety of extremely interesting entrepreneurs, we thought we'd take a step back and discuss what we learned so far from our guests, Cassie, Janine, Jen, Nikki, Pat, and Brendan. As you have heard and as you will continue to hear, we love to learn however we can. So we will do these episodes every so often where we share our takeaways with the interviews that you've heard. On today's episode of what we are now calling What We Learned, let's talk about what we heard from our guests on starting or building a business. Uh, But first, some quick hellos. Hi, guys. It's Grace. Hi, everyone. It's Michelle, and we're learning how to record a podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Also on what we learned today, press record. (laughs) Well, this is Lauren, and as we've discussed many times on this podcast, we're all pretty interested in entrepreneurship, and so that's why we've reached out and talked to as many entrepreneurs as we have and understanding their thoughts and what it took to start their businesses. So getting to talk to so many successful women and a few men, too, uh, shout out to Brendan and Pat that are with all within our own circles and, and our networks has been pretty exciting. But I think for us and our listeners out there, we have this itch to be a little bit entrepreneurial and we've t- either taken on some side hustles or want to, but really aren't positive where to start. So hopefully capsulating and getting together all of our thoughts will help us start down that road. So just to kick this all off, Cassie had an interesting story and she began her venture at a really young age. I was kind of similar to that in that I started different businesses when I was in high school. I started tutoring a little bit and then I did some wedding planning. So it seems like this entrepreneurial bug might be in your blood. Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's an old age question, right? Are entrepreneurs born or are they are they made? There have definitely been multiple studies basically saying that there may be what they're calling an entrepreneur gene, but we've seen entrepreneurs whose parents weren't necessarily entrepreneurs. And maybe while your tendency to start a business may be higher, if you have this gene, it's not it's not necessarily a requirement. Yeah, I think when we Michelle and I talked with Pat, he was definitely talking about how he had seen his parents as entrepreneurs. And so he knew that was something he wanted to get into, like the type of business, the type of lifestyle. And I think some of it is an any question like this. It's like, you know, some combination of genes, some combination of what you're exposed to. And it's interesting to see people, you know, some people are going to be more exposed to those kinds of roles than others. And I will tell a story that I think I've told before, but telling it again, which is we had some class in business school where everyone, professor asked everyone to raise their hand if they wanted to start a company at some point in the future. And I think there's probably like 40 people in the class and every single person raised their hand. And I was sitting there like, I don't know, like, and I, and I was the only person that didn't raise their hand. 
And I think for me, the more exposure I've had to what that means and what that entails and, you know, do I think I could do that and be successful? If you asked me that question today, I would definitely raise my hand and saying, like, if the right opportunity came along, I would be excited about that. It wouldn't, you know, it's on my radar at least now, whereas before it maybe wasn't. So some combination of genes and exposure. Yeah, I agree that there's um, an element of nature versus nurture. I don't think it's one or the other. Perhaps it's nature in the sense that you are born with a set of inherent skills. But I think definitely from a nurture standpoint throughout your your life, you're able to hone in on specific skills and and refine them. But one thing I, I did notice in speaking with uh, a number of these guests of ours is that they had three traits that were similar amongst all of them. One, they're all really creative. They were able to identify a problem and um, then they were passionate about solving the problem and finding that just solution. But beyond that, they had this go-getter spirit and or um, what Angela Duckworth would call grit. They were able to follow through and not just be a dreamer, but they would be able to figure out how to execute it and had somehow the ability to push through really challenging situations or really challenging times in the startup period of of their companies and just make the business successful. I I think there may be an element of nature versus nurture, but also that they all, all of them had these three elements or attributes. Yeah, I think there are a couple of different things that even if you don't, you know, go full throttle and start your own company, if you have this little bit of, I don't know if it's an entrepreneurial gene, but like you desire kind of the things that being an entrepreneur would get you that kind of flexibility or the autonomy that you'd have in your job, your ability to kind of make make your own job, even if it's within a big company, make it your own and put your own creative spin on it. So you get that, I guess they're called entrepreneurs, but that you still get to actually have those pillars is what we we call them in, in business school. You have to get to foresee and like live those out, even if you're not an entrepreneur per se and starting a company from scratch. But another thing that we did talk about was actually how most start their businesses as side hustles. And this is not, you know, anything new. There's an entire podcast called Side Hustle, if anybody listens to that, that is literally talking to people that have their full-time gigs that are pretty generic jobs. And they have very creative, like, you know, night and day um, side hustles. As Janine and I were talking you know, she mentioned doing property management and that was something that she just, it was another facet she wanted to get into. I had mentioned real estate was something we had in common and I kind of fell into it. It wasn't something I really planned on. I just, I had bought homes in cities that didn't really make financial sense to sell them once I was moving, especially because they were, you know, really popular places for people to rent. And and so that seemed like it made financial sense. I don't see that as ever being my full-time gig. It's interesting for right now. And so there are plenty of people that the side hustles just stay side hustles. And some people that realize, hey, I could do this full-time. So there are a lot of examples of great businesses that started off as a side gig, right? I mean, Apple is one great example of that. Steve Jobs was working at Atari when um, they started the business and his co-founder, Steve Wozniak, was working at HP, Hewlett Packard. So, 
I mean, like looking at the two of them and doing the side hustle, building Apple at a garage, which is now the market cap of Apple is now like last time I checked was over $870 billion. And um, you guys might have heard it hit $1 trillion at one point. I mean, that's that's incredible. So there are a lot of businesses that began as side hustles. And I'm trying to think of other examples. I think Under Armour was, is another example. Etsy, Groupon also started as a side hustle. So yeah. eBay did as well. There you go. Yeah, lots of, of businesses started off that way. Successful businesses, I may add. Yeah, I think that's a, a useful to talk about, bring up, you know, the side hustle concept, because it can be really hard to understand how to get from point A to what some people might consider point B, which is an $800 billion market cap company in Apple. Like, oh, we started in a garage and now we're an $800 billion company. But I think there are, first of all, so many ways you can be successful. And second of all, like a lot of these things did start really small as a side hustle with, you know, maybe not 100 hours a week. And I think you can use those types of opportunities to start to really explore maybe you're being entrepreneurial. I mean, I think there are in a lot of ways you can experiment and, you know, maybe some trial and error. But I think that side hustle concept is is really is really valuable, even if it's not, you know, the next big Apple. There's so much in what you're doing in real estate. Like what are, like think of all the different things in terms of building management, in terms of you probably have a really good idea of how often you have to maintain your air conditioner. You the real estate market in multiple cities in the mid-Atlantic, how to market your property, how to talk to a condo board. Like there are all kinds of things that you learn from the side hustle that I think together add up to a lot more than it may seem on first glance for a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of times, I mean, I go back to wedding planning in particular, because I really thought I would enjoy that a lot more than I did. And I liked working with the couples and having that like organizational aspect. Those are the things that I really liked was, you know, helping them read and understand their contracts. But like the day of coordination and being chasing around people from 9am to 1am on their wedding day was like not interesting. So for me, <laughs> that I, I found is like, um, maybe this is not what I want to do full time or start a business doing. I can't dedicate that much time to it. Yeah. And that's a valuable lesson in and of itself. Right. So switching gears just a little bit, Grace, I know you talked to Nikki in particular about seeking out venture capital funding. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to yeah. dig something to that. Yeah, so we, we touched on that a little bit. And if you guys remember, Nikki was pretty adamant, you know, who was in control of the company. If only bringing in investors who share the same vision as, as her company. And I think that's pretty important. And I mean, it is, we all know it's very challenging for women to be on the receiving end of VC funding. Last quarter, for example, only 17% of venture capital dollars were invested in companies with at least one female founder. But if you look at companies that are founded by just females, uh, that goes down to only 2%, which is really sad. But having said that, I, I mean, I completely agree with with Nikki that, you know, it's not 
just about raising money. It's about keeping the vision of the company intact and making sure that you partner with the right the right people who will back you up and back up the vision of the company. Yeah, I found like her very adamant way of like, this is my company, I'm going to maintain control over it versus and then and bootstrap it, I thought was really admirable. And look, she definitely still has plans of getting investors kind of later on. But I think right now with her current strategy, she's to your point, she's just trying to bootstrap it. She's it's still growing at a rate that she's happy and comfortable with. She is looking to bring in potential investors um, at some point in the future. But I think, yeah, it's it's really important to bring in investors who share the same vision as hers. Yeah. And it's, it's not just about money. Um, there's a lot of time that women and just entrepreneurs put into their businesses. Yeah, I mean, we've learned that from our little startup of a podcast, I think, because <laughs> besides the minimal, you know, financial input that we put into getting the technology that, you know, is um, iffy at best. <laughs> but like Jen mentioned, like Janine mentioned, there's nobody that's going to make you carve out the time except yourself. So one of the biggest challenges being you have to find the time, stick to it, make sure you're making that it a priority and you're getting up every day and holding yourself accountable that this is what I'm going to attack. I mean, Janine got rid of other clients in part it, just to focus on focus on sideline prep and make that, you know, a more than seasonal business. I mean, she actively made that decision to do that. And I see how hard it is because working on a vineyard and having a podcast for that and a blog for that and handling the social media for that, I'm the only person that's that's doing it. If, it, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. You have to hold yourself accountable and have that integrity. And I think that was one of the most important things that Janine said was just like having the integrity in yourself to make sure, you know, you're not letting yourself down really. And a lot of it is how much effort you want to put into it, how you prioritize it and what your time management really looks like. Yeah, I think the time management question is a really interesting one. When you're starting a business or running a company, there's so much focus on P&L, like the profit and the loss, the dollars coming in and the dollars coming out. And sometimes that's not accounting for the value of your time. And there's, you know, certain things that you should focus on as an entrepreneur because it's a better use of your time. And maybe in the beginning, it's going to cost you more potentially even to outsource. And I that sometimes isn't necessarily taking taking into account, you know, in the in the beginning. Or I mean, I can imagine those types of trade-offs are really hard to figure out how to make. And I think this sort of goes back to the piece that Michelle was saying about these traits that we've seen and the people we've interviewed about passion. And maybe that's something that can help guide where you spend your time because you really need if you're gonna be doing this on Thursday nights and Saturday mornings and Sunday afternoons. You you really need to feel passionate about the, the work you're doing. Because and Pat also talked about that a little bit. He didn't talk about it in the sense of time management, but he mentioned being self-aware. Like, what am I actually good at? Where can I move the company or the business forward faster or what do I have to delegate to others who are more skillful, even though, and the quality might be better, the quality might be different than what I would expect it to be, but it's about control versus just being self-aware. And 
being self-aware is a little bit about knowing whether you'd be able to put in the same quality, uh, level of quality per element of time versus the amount of money that you'd have to spend or the amount of resources someone else would have to put in to help you with whatever those tasks are. Yeah, I think Nikki touched on that a little bit too. And they they both brought up a good point. It's, it's very important to know what you're good at and identify areas where you need help, areas where you'd have to outsource to someone else who can who can do it better than you can and even you know bring in help bring in advisors in our case bring in an echo removal advisor (laughs) one of the threads that we heard from every single entrepreneur was they're learning something like they they didn't just go in knowing 100 i i know exactly how this is gonna shake out from start to finish and it's a a steep learning curve and that's something you also have to allocate so much time to i know like Matt and I this morning, we're just spending way too much time that we originally thought researching all of the equipment that we needed to buy next in the vineyard. And we thought it was pretty straightforward that we would need wire and we need the post and we need the anchoring, but then like to actually mathematically calculate the amount of wire and what kind and width and, and do the research and make sure it could withstand weather elements and like so we're learning all of this as we're going and a lot of it is more challenging than I think we had originally thought out but a lot of it we're learning from not just our own research but we've been to so many different wineries and vineyards across the mid-Atlantic and just asking them for their lessons learned because that's some of the most valuable information and that takes time too. So it actually, it's about building that network and, and Cassie mentioned, you know, I'm sure she's always had the design talent that she has, but to make the network that she needed in the supply chain in New York to actually make it in that jewelry business is admirable and something I'm sure she just had to figure out and go after it. Another thing that was definitely that resonated throughout a number of the guest speakers was the fact that they have these broad networks. And again, maybe it's not something that they said outright, but Lauren, it sounds like you've developed a network simultaneously as you're getting your vineyard up and running or even before you started getting your vineyard up and running. And it sounds like a lot of the other entrepreneurs who were guests on our podcast also had that same skill that was developed because it it really does take a village. And um, it's not like you're going to be able to come up with the, sure, we can Google things and figure things out that way. But there's an element of having other people help you throughout the process or give you advice. And it really depends on those relationships that, that you build over time so that you can reach out to people for the best type of advice for the point in time that your business is in. And it, it, it just seems like both the entrepreneurs that we've brought on as guests, as well as others that we've talked to outside the podcast have that same element where they're building those relationships building that network so they that they can rely upon them when they're in a challenging spot or even just to get unsolicited advice. Yeah, it's crazy how, you know, even as global as most industries are now and as stable a lot of the information you have, there's literally nothing like getting very localized individual advice and guidance and attention. And I don't think that's just, you know, in what I'm doing. I mean, obviously vineyards are very local and and that's kind of what, what people love about them. But I'm sure in a lot of different industries, you kind of need that personal attention still. So having the network is invaluable. So yeah. when do we actually get to try wine out of grapes grown out of <laughs> 
probably later this year. I can probably, uh, we'll probably oh, harvest. Really? Yeah, we'll probably harvest um, some Cabernet nice. Franc and Merlot later this year. That's going to be the very first vintage from the very first experiment. So it's probably not going to be that good, but we're going to try it. One of the things that some of the feedback we've had, even from the podcast. <laughs> Kelsey's like, back to business. Bringing it back. <laughs> well, I mean, it's related to what Lauren just said, but I think um, <laughs> the point was in a lot of this is you just have to, you just have to do it. The act of trying is actually a much bigger step than you or I or anyone gives credit for, I think. You know, to your point, building this, you have this vineyard. We're not a hundred percent sure what the outcome is going to be with our first vintage, but but you you've planted the grapes, you're doing everything you can to grow them properly, and and then you're gonna harvest and you're gonna produce some wine and see what happens. And you you know you have all these points along the way where you can say, okay, well we did this this time, what can we do differently? And the fact that you're just gonna go out and try it is such a big step. I think we've seen this in a lot of the people we've interviewed. It's like at some point we just had to take the leap, and that was you know probably one of the biggest decisions they made. I think we also we talk about all these other things that have to happen after that. But that first one is really big. And so kudos to you, Lauren, for harvesting those grapes. I guess we could go back to planting the grapes in the first place. (laughs) But wherever we started, like, that was a big deal. So good job. Yeah. I planted a few vines. Everyone helped. Exactly. Everyone helped in planting. So everyone has a contribution. But no, I mean, I, I totally agree. Like, when do we be able to call ourselves professional podcasters, guys? I mean, we can definitely call ourselves podcasters. <laughs> were there any other topics that you guys had felt were like standout things that you wanted to bring up? Not for this particular podcast, but for the next mini minisode, I would love to hear about the one, or maybe that's like the concluding minisode, but like the one thing we learned about ourselves during this process. But I'm just curious, like along the, the journey. Introspection. Introspection. Yeah, and one of the things we were talking about a couple of minutes ago on the learning curve, figuring out how to learn quickly is a really is a skill that all of the entrepreneurs we interviewed definitely had. And one of the things that had come up in a conversation I had uh, two days ago from a management perspective is at what point and when do you tap into that network? When do you ask people for help? And I think this is just me from my personal experience, but I find that when question can be just as hard as some of the others. Maybe that's also something we can explore a little bit more at some point. That's another piece to the to the learning curve is being really good at gauging when you need to reach out, ask for help. When do you make that first hire? When do you make the second hire? Okay, so I am sure we could talk about this for a long time. Let's wrap it up for the second time today. Please let us know if there's anything else you want us to cover as we continue on our four of a kind journey. And you can do that by emailing us at four of a kind podcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at four of a kind podcast. And that's spelled F O U R in both the email and the Instagram handle. So thanks everyone. And um, until next time on four of a kind. Bye. 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 Lauren, do you have any friends at the yeah. end of the day? So, Lauren, can you ask him for this file? Because I'm sure they've got it somewhere. Oh, it was going so well, too. I know. Of course. Of course. It was going well, so no one was recording it. Uh, oh, God.
Well, I'm recording it now, if that helps. 